January of 1999, not too far from here in New Jersey, uh, the North Atlantic uh, fishing industry saw a deadly string of accidents. In about 13 days, there were three separate tragedies, uh, the, the Cape Fear, the Adriatic, and the Beth Debob, uh, very typical fishing boat names, right, the Beth Debob. Uh, very typical fishing boat names, but something very atypical happened at that time. You see, in 13 days, three boats crashed, and up to that period, there had been a six-year stretch where no boats had crashed and people had died. But in 13 days, 10 people died, five people were never recovered. So they sent out investigators. Even though uh, fishing is, uh, commercial fishing, that is, is somewhat dangerous, right? They have these shows like uh, Deadliest Catch and all of these things to show the really difficult situations that these fishermen have to go through. But still, uh, three different crashes in only 13 days was remarkable. It made national news, and they sent out investigators to find out what happened that caused these three crashes. So first they checked, and they realized that uh, there was no such thing as what's called a hull breach in any of them. So what's a hull breach, H-U-L-L? It's like the Titanic, where the boat is going smoothly, there's a dude playing the uh, violin, and all of a sudden they hit an iceberg and the boat crashes. In all of these uh, situations, there was no hull breach, they didn't crash into anything, uh, there was no foreign object that came out of nowhere that surprised people. And then they said, well, maybe it was inexperience. Maybe these guys were like 16-year-old kids with pimples uh, driving around in, in the water. And they found out that, no, these guys were seasoned veterans. These guys were in the prime of their careers. Uh, they were great uh, captains, each one with at least 10 years of experience. So it wasn't that there was a hull breach, and it wasn't that they were inexperienced. And they found out even further that each crash happened about 10 or 15 miles from their home. So these were experienced captains who knew the waters, and each one crashed. So what happened? Now, they found out that each one of these boats was just carrying too much weight. Each of uh, the, the, the Cape Fear and the Adriatic were carrying about 10 extra clam traps. Now, they were, they were fishing for clams, and they had these big metal contraptions uh, called traps. Now, each one weighed about uh, 300 pounds empty, and each one was carrying about 10 extra uh, traps a piece, and full, they weighed about 1,000 pounds a piece. Now, 10 to 15 extra traps on top of everything they were already carrying. It's basically like carrying a, a full boat and then adding three adult elephants to stand on top. Now, quite frankly, uh, even though there was no um, outside reason, they looked inside and figured out, man, the reason that these boats crashed wasn't because there was mechanical failure. There was no engine problem. They didn't run out of oil. They were just carrying too much weight. When they did investigations to, to find out, man, why would a captain, why would somebody with experience, why would they deliberately put on that much weight? And they found out from other captains in the area, everybody kind of looked and shrugged and said, man, this is what everybody was doing, essentially. Everybody was carrying too much weight. Now, commercial fishermen, unfortunately, are not the only people who carry too much weight. And I'm not talking about losing some in the gut, right? Some of us got New Year's resolutions to get back in the gym. I'm not talking about carrying weight like that. I'm talking about carrying too much, too many burdens, too many pressures, too many things in our lives. Now, unless you live under a rock, if you live in New York, I bet you the first thing that you say to people when you meet with them or people that you haven't seen in a while, the first part of the conversation usually goes something like this. How are you doing? Man, I'm busy. 
right? And then people get into this jousting match trying to one-up each other on busyness. And if you're not that busy, you're sitting there kind of feeling empty in your stomach, feeling a little bit uh, uh, sad that you're not as busy as the next person next to you. We wear busyness as a badge of honor. But as too much weight is to commercial fishermen, uh, too much things in our lives, too many things going on in our lives for us, it's hazardous. So we're in this first week of a, a series here at Renaissance called Obstacle Course, and we're looking at things that are obstacles to us growing in our faith. If you're new to church and this is your New Year's resolution to check out church and to get back in, in, in the swing of things, or whether or not you've been a Christian for the last two decades and you've never missed a Sunday, uh, all of us have a common foe. We all have a common enemy, and that enemy for all of us is busyness. Now, each one of us have different reasons for why we load our schedules up with so many different things, but I can guarantee you that one of the number one enemies, if not the number one enemy right now to your spiritual walk, to you growing and learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to you learning more, being more patient, more, more kind, uh, more gracious, is you just being too, too busy. Uh, in his book called Crazy Busy, uh, an author by the name of Kevin DeYoung gives a couple of reasons on why people are so busy. And I think in, in a large part, some of it is just the culture, right? Just like the fishermen, that everybody was doing it. I think in New York, everybody is just busy. That's just basically the way we operate as people. But even, even further than that, uh, Kevin DeYoung gives uh, six or seven reasons. He calls them the killer peas. Uh, the killer peas and why we're so busy and why uh, we, we, we just jam so many different things into our schedule and none of them are going to be good. So the first one is poor planning. See, most of us don't set really good priorities in our lives. Uh, we all get, for example, that money is a very finite resource, right? We get that we got to pay rent or we'll be out on the middle of the street. Uh, so we don't go out and spend all of our money on jeans, right? But with our time, most of us don't plan as we should, and we just let so many things into our lives. And by the time we look up, and we're, we're frustrated that we're not growing like we want to, and it's just because we just have so much stuff in our lives. Somewhere, there's been a disconnect in my brain, and let me just back up and hop off the high horse for a second, that I am one of the worst people in the world to be given this message, right? Like, I am a, an incredibly busy person, and when I'm not busy, I feel guilty for not being busy. I always feel like there's something that should be going on in my life. So this message is not at anybody in here, but probably at myself more than anybody. I'll personalize it and say that I, I don't plan as I should. So I say yes to way too many things, and too many things get filled in my schedule, because somewhere down the line, I believe that I'm either indestructible or indispensable. And I say yes to everything, and I don't plan to put the right things in my life. The second thing, and this is also me, is people-pleasing, right? People-pleasing. God forbid you say no to somebody and you hurt their feelings. God forbid you don't show up to somebody's third cousin's karate tournament, right? <laughs> if you don't show up, then the world is going to end and things are going to be terrible. But Kevin DeYoung in his book talks about the, the reason that people-pleasing is so dangerous isn't just because you want to be liked. It's because we actually have a, 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 a heart-level fear of disappointing people and not being liked by other people. We're grasping for approval from everybody because deep down inside, we're empty and we're searching. So we say yes to so many things, so many things that come into our lives just because we don't want to disappoint anybody and we don't have any peace in our lives. The third thing that he talked about is prestige. Prestige. We've determined in our lives that we are going to make 
something of our lives, right? This is a city where people come to make their dreams happen. A lot of you have moved to New York to make your dream happen. And we'll, we'll, we'll load so many things into our lives in the pursuit of being that uh, actor or getting that career in, in whatever the case in law or finance or medicine or anything. And our lives are so jam-packed with so much stuff that there's no room, there's no margin to do anything other than that. Jim Carrey has a, a quote that a lot of you guys, I'm sure, have heard. That the, uh, he, he said, I hope that everybody in, in the world gets rich and famous so they'll know that's not the answer to anything. And the only thing that not reaching your dream is to reach your dream and realize that it, wouldn't, it can't bear the weight of your identity. The only thing worse than reaching your dream is to, than not reaching your dream is to actually reach it and get it and be dissatisfied with it because that can't bear the weight of your identity. Or maybe it's position. Maybe you feel like you are, man, you are such a big wig that everybody in your position has to work like this. This is what people like me do, right? People like me go to bed at night with our, with our iPhones and our, our, our emails wide open and answer emails at 2 a.m. because this is, what, this is what people like me do. Or maybe it's because we're perfectionists, right? You can't let up because God forbid you let up and you make a mistake. The world is going to stop spinning tomorrow if you make a mistake because you are that important. But we, we load too much stuff in our life because we're perfectionists or power. Or here's one of my personal favorites, trying to prove ourselves. Now, for some of you, it's to a, a coworker or to a boss, to an ex-girlfriend, an ex-boyfriend, to your JV high school coach, uh, to, to a whole list of people. Or the most dangerous one is yourself. We're trying to prove ourselves to ourselves. And in a culture that, that values action and, and busyness, when we're not doing things, we worry, we freak out, and we just have to replace the nothingness with something. Now, who are you? If I was to ask you the question, who are you? The first answer that most of us would say is, oh, I'm, I'm an attorney, I'm, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm in finance, I'm a chef, I'm an actor, I'm a musician, I'm a singer, I'm in communications, I'm in education, I do this, I do this, I do this. And somewhere along the line, this bright line in the sand that was supposed to separate who you are from what you do has now come together. And now, here's the worst part about it for us, brothers and sisters. Now, who we are is inextricably linked to what we do. So you know what happens when your identity becomes about what you do? It means you do a whole lot of stuff. Because if your identity is in how much you do, if you don't do anything, then you aren't anything. If your identity is in what you do, then if you do a lot of things, then you're really important, then you matter, and all these different things. And in our lives, we have filled so many things uh, out of the fear of being mediocre. We have put so many things in the place of, of, our, of our day-to-day life that we don't even have time or margin to do anything. And the number one obstacle, I think, for us, for a lot of us, is that we are just way too busy. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that faith in Jesus takes us off of this hamster wheel of what I like to call performance. Faith in Jesus takes us off of this thing that we have to do so many things to measure up, and it exposes the deep heart-level issues of perfectionism and of uh, people-pleasing and of trying to prove ourselves because, you know what, we don't have to be perfect because our identity is not in what we have done, but what we receive from Jesus Christ. And the gospel is this message right here, that it's unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. Unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. 
And you know what so much of our time and energy is spent doing? Trying to be accepted. Trying to, be, trying to earn things. Trying to, t- trying to matter. As if the truth that God wants us to have uh, uh, in our lives to live out of this reality, it doesn't exist. Now, everything we're going to talk about from here on out, uh, different ways that we can really uh, live in this reality, whether it's scripture reading or prayer, everything is uh, intended to get us back to this point, to where we can live out of the reality that we are God's beloved, and it's not what we are not who, uh, what we do, we are just God's children. We are fully accepted and fully loved, and fully loved, and guess what? There's nothing you can do about it. In um, Galatians 4 and 7, Paul an author says something that I, I love so much, uh, Galatians 4 and 7. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, what Paul is referring to here is the, uh, the children of Israel's uh, slavery in Egypt. And their entire value was based on how many bricks they made every single day. So when you were a slave, the only thing that mattered was how many bricks you made. And Paul is saying this, you are no longer a slave, but an heir. An heir, the only thing that matters is the one who's leaving you the inheritance. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Brewster's Millions. Uh, It might be on Netflix. It is well worth the two hours um, of your your time. Uh, And in the movie, Richard Pryor is this dude that's like struggling through life, and he's, you know, not putting everything together. And all of a sudden, he finds out he has this long-lost relative who leaves him like $300 million. And in one instant... In one instant, his life is changed, not because of what he has done, but because of the person who left him the inheritance. And this is what Paul is saying. Your value, your identity is not in how much you produce. It's not in how well, of, how well your career is going. It's not in how well your relationships are going. You are an heir, and the, the, the entirety of your value comes from that. And we need to find ways to live out of that uh, reality. So what is, what is the solution to all of this busyness? What is the solution? Should we just, everybody quit our jobs and go home and watch Netflix, right? That does sound like a decent plan, at least for a week. There's a lot of good shows on that I'm still not up on. But that's, that's absolutely not the solution because the opposite, the opposite of busyness is not laziness. The opposite of busyness is fruitfulness. Because if you're too busy, I guarantee this is what's happening. You don't, you're not even enjoying any of the things that you're doing. All right, so I'll, I'll talk about a day in the life of Jordan when I'm too busy. I'm in one meeting thinking about what I have to do in the next meeting, right? And I'm not even fully present in the one meeting that I'm in. I'm talking to Shawana, and I'm not even looking at her. I'm just like nodding, uh-huh, slow head nod down to your iPhone again, and just... And then when I get home, I'm so uh, consumed with all the things I have to do in work that I'm not even paying attention to my wife. It's just thinking about all the things that are going on. My brain is racing. But the opposite of that busyness is fruitfulness, is being fully present with the people that you are a part of, being fully present with your family, at, at your job, and actually doing things. So the solution is not to be lazy. That is absolutely not the answer. Uh, Justin just read a scripture uh, a few minutes ago, and it's a short one, so I want to read it again for you guys. Uh, Gospel of um, Luke uh, 10, verses 38, and it says, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what she said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about a lot of things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, it's about two women, Mary and Martha, and every time I read the scripture, I still have a reaction in my gut that makes me want to say, like, yo, Jesus, let's, let's kind of back up for a second, because you're kind of bugging, right? We can't all just sit around at your feet and, like, you sit Indian style with our, with our hands clenched under your, our chins and, you know, pray all day. Like, I'm a pastor. I can't even do that all day. Like, I have meetings. I have deadlines. I have to negotiate with principals. We have so many things going on. Like, this is not even, like, this is not even realistic. Like, you're, you're calling, you're saying what Mary is, I know Mary is supposed to be the person that we're supposed to look to in the story, but dude, stuff got to get done. Dishes got to get done. People have to eat. All these things have to happen, right? And a lot of us think like this. But here's the problem. Jesus doesn't think like this. Uh, he, he says a phrase in, in the end of the scripture. He talks about, um, uh, about what Martha and Mary are doing. And Martha is believing that Jesus is going to get her back. She says, man, surely Jesus is going to get my back. Surely he's going to jump on board with me. Surely he's going to see that I'm working hard and Mary is being lazy and he's going to have my back. But the problem is he doesn't. And this is the crux of the story. Martha, you're freaking out. Uh, you're, you're not doing anything bad, but you're just being pulled away from what's better. If we were to ask uh, each one of you right now, if you were to take out a piece of paper or uh, think about it in your life, what's something that is distracting you from growing in your faith? What's something that's distracting you from Jesus? What's something that's distracting you from your pursuit of God? What is it? For Martha, it was a meal... And, it's not, and, and, and this could be something that's not a bad thing. It doesn't have to be some, some illicit activity. It could be a good thing that's just, we're just distracted. And there's a little phrase at the end of the scripture. I'm not sure if you caught it, but Jesus says something to Mary. He says, Mary, uh, he says something about Mary, um, that Mary chose to do something that will not be taken away from her. I don't know if you caught that, right? So Mary chose to do something that will not be taken away from her. And here what Jesus is saying is that sitting at the feet of Jesus won't be taken away from you. That growing in your faith won't be taken away from you. And everything else in this world is a perishable thing. Your looks, one day it's going to be taken away from you. One day Kim Kardashian is going to look like Betty White. Right? No matter how much you work out, uh, your money is going to be taken away from you. Right? One day you'll be buried and you won't be able to take one single nickel with you. Your job, one day they'll find somebody more qualified and put, them, and put you out to pasture. Your family, everybody in your family is going to be dead one day. And this is a very happy, welcome, you know, happy new year message, right? <laughs> Everything will be taken away from you one day. But the one thing that is, that will never go, the one thing that will always continue to stay, to remain, the one thing that will remain is your relationship with God. And what Jesus is calling us to do is this. He's calling us to prioritize the things that matter. See, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And in our lives, there's so many competing things. There's so many things going on in the left and the right. And there's some great things. Like, right, you have to go to work. You have to change diapers. You have to do the dishes. I hope I don't have to do the dishes. Do I have to do the dishes? Okay. <laughs> so you have to do all of these different things, even if you try to get out of it. But there's so many things in our lives that are just distracting us. We're not prioritizing things 
in the right way. Now, what does it mean to, uh, to sit at Jesus' feet? And that's kind of, I'm not really a feet guy. Like, I'm not a foot dude. Like, that's not my thing. So, like, sitting at somebody's feet, like, I don't want to be at anybody's crusty feet. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't make me feel too welcomed in that, in that environment. So what is Jesus calling us to do in terms of sitting at his feet? Um, uh, in, in Acts, uh, there's a scripture where it talks about all of the people in the land started bringing uh, all of their money to, their, to the apostles and laying it down at their feet. To put something at somebody's feet basically meant you were putting it under their authority. Paul in Acts 22 and 3 says that he learned the faith uh, from a man. He said, I learned the faith under the feet of a man named Gamaliel. Right? So he was under the authority. He was arguing with other people about whether or not he was a legit apostle. And he says, yo, I learned it. I, I submitted myself under the authority of Gamaliel. All throughout the Psalms and, and, and Proverbs, you talk about, uh, you see a scripture where it says that uh, God will make your enemies your footstool. He will put the people under your authority. So to be under Jesus' feet means that you are under his authority. And if we were to look at our lives and see who is the captain of our boats, Whose authority are we really under? When we live our lives day after day after day after day, making our own decisions, doing our own thing, never stopping to pause to pray, not stopping to evaluate things through the lens of Scripture. Guess what, brothers and sisters, and I'm talking so much to myself on this one. We're not under uh, God's authority. We're under our own authority. We're not stopping to pause to prioritize uh, uh, Jesus in our lives. And guess what? That is a huge, 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 huge obstacle to us growing in the faith. For most of us, uh, the greatest danger is not that we're going to move to the Midwest and join a cult. The biggest danger that most of us face is that we would have a really mediocre faith and we settle for a much cheaper version than what God is calling us to live. We would have a, a, a super mediocre faith where we're settling for McDonald's cheeseburgers when we, be, we could be having gourmet. Now, if you are looking for... Uh, a simple answer to how to turn your life around. If you're feeling convicted, and a lot of people do around, uh, talks about talk, uh, busyness and, and our time management. Um, this, none of this is to guilt any of you into this. Uh, certainly, hopefully, to um, stop the bleeding for some of us, um, but to, to call us and, and to show us what the obstacles really are. But if you are sick and tired of being so busy, here's one thing that I do know, that we have to prioritize scripture reading and prayer in our lives, that if you're looking for a day where you're just like, you know what, man, I can't wait. I really can't wait to read Leviticus today. This is going to be amazing. Don't hold your breath on that one, right? You're, never, you're probably not going to wake up tomorrow and really want to read Jeremiah, right? You're probably going to want to watch ESPN or whatever else uh, you like to, or daytime television or whatever you do in the morning or scroll through Instagram. Uh, this is not something that is, uh, we're saying that you have to uh, man, desire and, and, and want to do, but devotions are called devotions because you have to be devoted to them, right? And even though we live in a culture that's a, uh, a microwave uh, generation where we expect things to happen at the blink of an eye, we expect things to happen the next day, man, it doesn't work like that. And nothing good works like that. If you're trying to get back in shape, right, you don't go to the gym one day and then come back and then just like, <laughs> and, then you're, and then you're good, I went to the gym the other day, I looked, got in the mirror, I was expecting results. Nah, we're a couple months away. We're a couple months away easily. And, and, and with our faith, it's, it's the same way. And I, I say all of this to know that a lot of you have at some point tried 
you've tried a Bible reading plan or a devotional book, and you know what? You failed at it. You got it like three weeks in. You did the Bible reading plan for a year. You got like three weeks in, or you got to February, and you never made it out, right? Anybody in here made it past March? Nobody. Nobody here. My mother did. Okay. All right, so most of us, so I'm not saying this to guilt us. I, I, I firmly believe that if you make up your mind right now that I'm going to commit to prioritize scripture and prayer in my life, there will be days when you fail at it. I fully believe that because I know I do, and I'm, and I'm a pastor. Right? There are days where I just feel so overwhelmed by the busyness of life that I just let, um, all I got to do is just answer this one email, and then I'm going to get to it. All I got to do is this one thing, this one report, this one thing, and then I'll, then I'll get it in. And before you know it, the day is gone and you don't do anything. Or for a lot of us, before you know it, the week has gone and we haven't done anything or the month or the, or the year. So we have to prioritize um, scripture reading and, and, and prayer in our lives. And for some of you guys, you might be thinking like, all right, dude, you're a pastor and like you get paid to read the Bible and talk about Jesus. And if you're not doing a great job, what makes you think I'm going to do a great job at this? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that just yet. No, but the... Um, even in, you know, I, I wasn't always a pastor. I wasn't always um, doing this. I was, I was an attorney for six years, and in my life, I know what it feels like to wake up and have the grind of work and clients and um, crazy people and all of the things that go along with uh, running a practice. And in these times, in, in my entire life, I've, there have been times where I've had a great devotional life, and there's times where I've struggled mightily. But at the very end, nothing will cause us to, to thrive more. Nothing will cause more growth, more fruit, more peace, uh, any of the things that we want in our lives other than stopping every morning, prioritizing, unloading some of the stuff from our lives, and spending that time with God in prayer, being under the feet of Jesus and learning from him. God has given us, everybody, 24 hours of each day. It's the one resource that God has given us all, and even though we all have 24 hours, we none of, most of us feel like we don't have enough time but we don't have a time problem, we have a priority problem. Now, the reason we spend our, our time the way we do is because we really just don't prioritize, we really don't see things as really being that valuable. So here's, here's how I know that we will, here's the best way I know on how to grow in, in our appreciation, in our, in our intentionally slowing down to spend time with God uh, in prayer and in scripture. And then the best analogy I can think of is cheeseburgers, right? So growing up, like a lot of you did, I, you, know, you went to McDonald's and you got these little flimsy cheeseburgers you can wave and they flap in your hand. But as I got older, I was like, yo, I went to different places and they had these big, thick, grass-fed cheeseburgers with different cheeses and you had provolone, all these different stuff. Apologies to the vegetarians in here. You can, separate, you can substitute another uh, topic in here for that one. But after, the more I ate really good cheeseburgers, that's when I started to lose a taste for bad cheeseburgers. Right, like so you can give me, you can offer me a free McDonald's burger right now, and I wouldn't take it because I've tasted something much, much, much better. And I'm not even gonna waste my time in that because my my desires have changed. And here's how I how I how I hope we will internalize this message. What God wants to do in your life is not simply just make you, you know, schedule it in your iPhone, a calendar entry to read five minutes a day, or to do this, or to pray. Um, as another obligation on top of the 500 obligations you already have in your life. God wants to simply change your desires so that you will see the value of what happens of spending life with Jesus. And there's no other way that's going to happen unless we start to try to kickstart our faith and do some stuff intentionally to get there. 
there's a couple of things that we want to provide to you guys as resources uh, to that end. Uh, one of them uh, is uh, for some of you guys who don't necessarily know where to start. You're like, all right, this sounds really good. I want to pray more. I want to read my Bible more. But where do I start? Uh, there's this book by a guy named Philip. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Reinders. There we go. Uh, uh, it's called Seeking God's Face. Uh, we're going to send this out in an email. His name is Philip Reinders, R-E-I-N-D-E-R-S. And it's called Seeking God's Face. And it basically prepares the meal for you. Uh, every morning there's a, a small reading, there's a devotional, and there's a quick prayer. Uh, and if you're just looking for, if you, have, you don't know where to turn to exactly, man, this is a great place to start. Secondly, uh, we're going to do a small Bible reading plan. We're going to do uh, the book, uh, the New Testament, rather, and over the next three months. Now, each day, we're going uh, to have a, a list on Facebook and Twitter, and you can download the list uh, for yourself. And each day, there's about one or two chapters to read. In about three months, you'd read the whole entire New Testament. And if, if you've uh, never done anything like this before, this is a great time to start. And if you've done it before and failed, this is a great time to start again. But I, I want to end on, on this note that I don't want anybody to feel guilty about what you haven't done or feel bad that you have too much stuff in your schedule and you don't know where to turn right now. I have a great answer for exactly where you should turn to. Uh, and it comes from uh, Philippians 3 with the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was talking about his life and he's, uh, he's a follower of Jesus and he's talking about all the things that he hasn't done right, all of the T's that he hasn't crossed, all the I's that he hasn't dotted. And Paul says this, he says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I, I thank you so much uh, that you don't hold our past against us, and we can look forward to what lies ahead. Uh, God, I, I pray for wisdom as we go about our weeks and our days. God, that we wouldn't, you know, just go with the flow, just like everybody else, trying to do so much stuff in our lives. God, that we would stop and we would be intentional. We would prioritize our lives a little bit better. God, and we would get off of the, the busyness treadmill and just start doing things just because everybody else is doing it. And God, we would find our value somewhere else. Father, be with us. Keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.